Are you ready? <laughs> you are listening to Net Support Radio, the home of our award-winning school IT management solutions. Support all the elements for successful school IT management. So, hi, listeners, welcome. Mark Anderson here, ICT evangelist, comparing this session. I've got with me uh, Al Kingsley, uh, managing director of NetSupport, and Henry Platten. Uh, welcome, everybody listening in. We're going to be talking about and discussing ways in which teachers can gain confidence in using technology. Uh, tell me, Al, what do you uh, understand about? Uh, technology in the classroom and how teachers use it and are there ways that you think that uh, this sort of thing can be done confidently how do teachers go about getting confidence in using this tech well it's a big topic isn't it it's it, huge i mean it's, it, there's so many different angles that you can approach it from mm. um <clears throat> we've obviously been doing our, our classroom technology for the last 30 years and, and our approach has always been that you know tech in many ways certainly in the tools we provide is more of a, a facilitator to kind of underpin the use of other applications and, and learning content in the classroom. Um, and without a doubt, the biggest barrier to effective use of technology is the confidence of teachers to actually engage and utilize that technology and migrate away from the comfort zone of the more traditional verbalized and structured approach to teaching. Um, with our classroom instructional tools, NetSupport School, um, our approach is to simplify that process so that a teacher has control in the classroom has confidence that when they select something um, all the PCs will log in the students will be ready to go they can control when applications are used when they steer their children to websites and I think that sense of control is the starting point that underpins confidence um, and it is a bit of a journey for teachers from that point of being a novice to having that mastery um, I always try and use the analogy that you know with our own technology I'm very comfortable as you'd expect utilizing it um, and demonstrating it to people uh, and if you move that setting as happens on a regular basis where I'm in a classroom and asked to talk about a particular topic maybe it's a business studies lesson or something else then immediately that sense of confidence diminishes when you're on in a strange environment with mm. students and I think the technology there is about underpinning and giving teachers that ability to, to, to develop and master their technology and, and then the skills build from it and of course often rightly the measure is about impact isn't it it's about mm, do, mm. does this technology um, impact both in terms of supporting teaching and um, I will defer to the expert when it comes to topics on TBAC Mr Anderson I'm sure you can uh, expand on that but it is that sense of that umbrella that's supporting how teachers do things what we try to do on top of the tools to give teachers confidence in the classroom across all sorts of different platforms is then on top of that build the tools that allow them to actually assess and evidence that there's progress in, in learning throughout the lesson, deliver content and take content away. And I think if teachers see that not only does it give them uh, that underpinning scaffolding and support in the classroom, but at the same time, uh, saves them time, provides that content and evidence for them, then it's a win-win. But you know, many of these things come back to, do you spend your money on the tech or do you spend your money on the training? You know, and, and those two strands, I think, are the ones that probably is quite a good one for us to unpick today. Yeah, definitely. I think it was interesting what you were saying there about the, the audience as well. So when you step out of a comfort zone for yourself and then suddenly you're in a classroom and there are kids there, that sometimes that can be concerning, not just for teachers, but for anyone, suddenly when they're using a new bit of tech in an environment where they're being watched, that that fear sometimes can can come in. And that's where, um, and Mark, as Al says, you know, you've seen far more examples than, than we have, but it's where 
I think where teachers can help others in terms of sharing that knowledge across, like how they're using new bits of tech, you know, as you do through Twitter and sharing that advice to people with the just in the short tutorials, it can help perhaps sometimes reduce that fear for for people who may be novices in terms of using the tech. And I think also there's a there's a responsibility on us as developers. So you know, net support and all this, the great software that you develop and go bubble and software that we've developed, there's a responsibility on us to try and make it as easy as possible, which certainly your know, net support and the tools does. So it makes it nice and easy to just pick up and use to try again, try and reduce that fear and that concern and that apprehension that can come through when trying to engage with new bits of tech. Ironically, one of the most challenging things with technology development, and, and we all share from different angles, um, is the ability to add more functionality, but reduce the numbers of clicks or the complexity within the UI. And actually the most capable products are not measured often by the ones that have the most options on the toolbar. Mm. And I think that's where there's this crossover between the technology development and understanding the pedagogical needs within the classroom of how you actually utilize that tech. Yeah. Uh, and just for those people who, who might not know this, you mentioned a the term there, UI. What, what is UI? So user interface, the, the way the product is presented. You know, there's, um, there's a challenge when you're close to something. As the, the developer and the innovator of something, you, you automatically understand the methods and process to navigate. But actually, the, the most you learn is with, with fresh pairs of eyes, people looking at it. And actually, we do quite a lot of work monitoring users, you know, that over-the-shoulder monitoring of how easy and intuitive to find things and the minimum number of steps. And of course, confidence is built by the product acting consistently each and every time so that familiarity allows the teachers to develop those skills. This is ultimately about, as a teacher walks in a classroom, they have two options about how they deliver their teaching, whether they do or they don't use the technology. Um, and I think we've all been in, in conversations, and Mark, you've very much led the fact that you know the technology is a fantastic thing, but it's not the panacea to everything, and it doesn't sit there as every lesson you must use technology to somehow be an outstanding teacher. Mm. Um, but there are times where it absolutely could develop and support the lesson and how the teaching is underpinned. But the barrier is for a teacher saying, will it take me two, three minutes to get set up and ready to go with this technology? And then you've got classroom management control issues with the children, what you do. And if they have confidence that a single click you're there, you have, for want of a better word, control of your students and, and their activity utilising the technology. And then you start to see actually you, you shorten the gap because rather than asking children to go somewhere online, you can take them there automatically. That confidence builds where actually what you're doing is you're providing more time for teaching and collaboration and, and assessment and less time for steering and, and you know, being that um, guide on the side versus the sage on the stage. And I've stolen that from Mr. Anderson because I've heard him talk about that. But it's a really, really relevant one in terms of that change in teaching practice, but giving that control that allows you to support and facilitate. Yeah, I mean, every teacher listening will have had those lessons where they've asked a child to go to a certain website and then half an hour later they've actually managed to get all on the same website. Absolutely. And that's where tools like, like Net Support School can really, really help, isn't it? Because it's about shortening those sequences so that you can focus on the main business of what you do as a teacher, which is teaching and supporting their learning, isn't it? Big time, big time, yeah. So there's a framework that I've used for quite some time around um, teacher confidence uh, with the use of technology and it was really um, humbling uh, at the time when I was sort of sharing it originally when Sylvia Duckworth um, chose to uh, do a sketch notes of this, uh, this thing and uh, I can share it in the show notes so please uh, do check those out. Um, there are four levels with survival at the bottom. Uh, which moves up to mastery and impacts up to innovation at the other end. And uh, it's like any bell curve, really, you know. Um, most people will be somewhere in the middle. 
Um, sometimes it's a bit further to the left with more people toward, toward, towards the sort of survival end. Uh, sometimes in schools that are um, using technology uh, pervasively and using it regularly, they might be a bit more towards the impact end. But it's about providing, like you would with any child in your classroom, is thinking about um, how you would differentiate any kind of training to support those people uh, at a level which is relevant to them. Um, so uh, with that in mind, so sometimes when I'm doing the training I'm doing uh, with schools or working with schools and they're trying to work out a pathway for how they'll do their CPD, uh, what I'll do is I'll sit down with the school leaders beforehand and say, you know, have your uh, staff self-assessed where they are with their sort of confidence uh, in using technology. And it's a really great framework for helping you then deliver um, sort of uh, training and support and, and CPD, uh, which is, is, is impactful and relevant to those people. You know, I, I, I do some schools and there's like 100 people in the audience. And I think to myself, you know, if, somebody, if a lot of this audience are at the survival end and they're getting a whole load of ideas, how do they then take that sort of stuff forward? It's, it's, it's really complex and it's, it's a really difficult thing to do. So the framework really helps to uh, sort of uh, think about how then, rather than having a one-size-fits-all inset day, looking at how you can actually sort of differentiate that then. Uh, if schools are going to invest in somebody like me going into the school, actually sometimes it's better for people who are more at the sort of impact and innovation end of the spectrum to spend time with me um, doing that sort of stuff uh, so that they can get the most out of me and then do cascade training yeah. you know, and pass that stuff down and support over a longer period of time because often with technology it's about scaffolding and giving them those sort of uh, opportunities to try things that will work. Uh, rather than giving them a hundred ideas that they'll actually be too scared to try out and never do, actually yeah. give them one or two things which they can sort of build on uh, from there on in. Uh, so you, you can find that um, uh, diagram in the show notes, uh, and, and that's there. Um, but um, Henry, in, in your role with um, GoBubble, how do you go about supporting um, teachers in how they sort of learn how to use your software? How, how do you go about doing that? It's been a very interesting journey. One of the things that we've deliberately done, go back to, to Al talking about the user interface, um, it's been very, very much working with the teachers themselves. So we've gone through a co-creation because you can look at the software that you want to build and the solution that you want to, to solve. But actually, it's only by working with teachers that you properly get it working in the right way in the classroom. Um, by doing that, what we've actually found is that we have a lot of teacher ambassadors who, as you say, they're moving on to what that innovation stage now in their development. And actually, they like to share knowledge and support back to other teachers. So we have an area in GoBubble called Class Ideas and an area called Resources. And the teachers themselves actually create those resources for the teachers. Certainly, for me, that has a far more authentic voice to it than me creating something and then giving it to a teacher. Because you know, my background was in the police. I wasn't an educator. So it's far more impactful where teachers are actually sharing with other teachers and helping to train them. Also, what we found is that some of the kids like making training videos as well for other teachers at other schools. Mm. And that's, that's brilliant. You know, when you get a, a child that's making a film saying, okay, this is how you create a bubble, and this is how you can share it with other people, and this is how you can track how far it goes. And then they can share that to other teachers, but also those teachers can then share those films to their own students, saying, mm. well, here's a child the same age in Canada teaching you how you can now go and use this platform. That's really powerful in lots of ways as well, not just about how to use the software, but in terms of oracy, literacy, yeah. uh, you know, showcasing all the things that they know. Uh, something that I have to do with, with my um, student digital leaders way back when, you know, and it's just so powerful. And some, some children find it really difficult to actually interact face-to-face, -face, mm. you know, but having the opportunity to make something in, which will be helpful in a way which is relevant to them is, is really, really good. Yeah, and deliberately we ensure that it isn't just videos because there are some children, as you say, in terms of the face-to-face -face and actually just filming themselves 
aren't comfortable doing that. Mm. So actually they can create posters and just upload the image or they can do it in written form if they wish uh, and to make sure that it's properly inclusive. And we have children in a, an SEN school in Canada who've made some of the posters that are used by children here in the UK mm. and it's wonderful seeing that. Mm. Yes, it's brilliant, and that goes to a whole sort of change management process, or sort of change management thinking about how you get technology being pervasive within your school. Because it's not just about doing one particular type of support; it's about supporting in lots of different ways, and which could be through, um, say, posters around the organisation. Mm. It could be videos that are playing on the digital signage in the schools. It could be all sorts of stuff. With that, there's a sort of strand to that because. You're right about having stakeholders within the organisation that can, can distill down that confidence and knowledge. So one of the strands that we took within our technology was a, a record and replay feature so that um, teachers or technicians or IT managers for particular tasks can record their activity, save it as a replay file, which is a particular format for our software. Mm. And, and it allows teachers um, who say, how do I? How do I create a, you know, a Q&A session? How do I create a quick quiz online or using the product, um, they can, rather than go to the tech support team or another teacher and say, how do I, they can access recordings that other staff have done. And that becomes a framework almost for lesson plans for the year ahead. There's almost evidence of what we did before and how we structured things. And I think that providing the tools for schools to, to gain that kind of knowledge and empower them to actually distill it down is is an important part of, of a complete solution. I mean, your, your strand marketing is really important about you know, the technology is there to ensure that a school has the broadest possible grip of that technology. You know, and one part which we're focused on in this conversation is about uh, teacher confidence, making sure there's the right mechanism to support and train them, and the technology is accessible wherever you are, whether you're in survival mode or whether you're an innovator. You know, and one size doesn't fit all, and, and so we take an approach where, you know, the UI the user interface changes depending on whether you're a, a starter, a survivor or not. Obviously, we don't present it quite as that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. sometimes, you know, in, in classroom management, you know, if we had the conversation 10 years ago and said in an IT suite, what do you want to do? The conversation would be about control, stop children doing things, blank screens, lock keyboards, prevent them going there. And that's understandable in terms of a basic confidence level within the classroom. But it doesn't allow the technology to actually facilitate and empower more and so the technology has moved on now and much more when you think of classroom management it's about how do I gather feedback how do I quiz and survey how do I allow children to peer assess each other's screens and what they're doing uh, how do I allow groups to come together and actually work as subgroup leaders within a classroom so that your differentiation allows more able students to actually lead conversation and allows that kind of stretch for them and what they're doing and I think there's this mindset which we have to all try and work over, which is not trying to pigeonhole technology into a particular box. You know, the best tools have a range of things to fit depending on the teacher's level of competence, and mm. that's important because, you know, public money, some money. You know, software is always a cost that a school could do without because they want to spend as much as we can on teachers and TAs and supporting the thing. But if you buy technology that's capability grows with your your teachers mm. and grows with their requirements over time, then that's a much more you know. I would argue a much wiser investment than something that's specific for now but doesn't have the capacity as you move towards that innovation pipeline to allow you to really use the product in a much much more impactful way. That's, that's, that's absolutely true. And another thing that's really important, I think, as well, is engaging people with uh, the use of technology. Children are often uh, sort of wowed by technology, particularly some of the more um, sort of cutting-edge innovative things that we see like augmented and virtual yeah. reality and so forth and so on. But it's equally as important to engage teachers uh, in, in the use of technology. Are there any ways in which NetSupport um, supports 
uh, sort of activities that would engage teachers. Sometimes it's you mentioned some of the assessment for learning type activities and mm. things that you can do. Uh, what, what sort of stuff is there? Well, I mean, I have a, a view. I mean, we have within the technology, and we've had for many years, the ability to create tests. You know, the teacher pre-lesson creates questions and answers and resources, and it's presented on children's screens, and it can be drag and drop or labelling images or answers. And the time-saving bit was about it auto-marks it for them. But actually, when we think about the pressures in the classroom and we think about differentiation, what's more important, I think, is about teachers to gauge understanding on the fly and try and remove that pre-lesson planning, which is a, is a big factor in terms of work-life balance. So what we introduced in the product was we call it Q&A mode, but basically it's the ability for me verbally, and, and I guess as an example I can use both of you as my students, perish the thought. Um, <laughs> but verbally I might want to have a conversation. We've, we've had a lesson, science, astronomy, we've been talking about the solar system. Um, how do I gauge and evidence whether what we've discussed is something that you've now got a grip of and something that you're secure in your confidence? So I might choose in, instead to, on your screens, take more of a... Um, you know, a game-based scenario to engage our learners. So I might verbally say, right, the first question for you is, you know, what's the, um, what's the, which planet has rings around it in the solar system? And rather than me, exactly, and, and Mark's put his hand up straight away because he's an eager and capable learner. Henry's still posing on the question over the other side there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm wondering, what is a planet? Right, so, so rather than prepare all that work, I've verbally asked you the question. I can now pop up on your screens a box that provides you, if I choose, with some thinking time. It's always good to encourage children to think first and then allows them to answer it. And we can either record based on um, who's quickest, we can do it team-based, so it's like to gamify the concept. Some of the more, you know, less engaged learners suddenly it becomes slightly competitive. Obviously we're focusing on those that are quickest, not those that are slowest. Um, but if you all answer and we say, congratulations, you know, Mark, you were first. So Mark, what planet has um, rings around it in our solar system? And Mark says? Saturn. Mark says Saturn. Now I can either click a button and say, correct, Mark got that right, or I could peer assess it to the rest of the class. Who thinks Mark was right before we answer it? And we get a yes, no up on the screen, and we can say, right, this group have got it, these ones we need to revisit. Um, I could also, thinking of the kind of AFL style, basketball questioning, that kind of pose, pause, pounce and bounce methodology, I can kind of say, well, you were first, so I'm now going to bounce the question on from that to Henry, you were second. So Henry, what's the smallest planet in the solar system? And you can then, depending on your ability, you can either, as you've done, put your hand up and say, Mars. Mars. And, I, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, it was Pluto, but it's no longer a planet. So I've got to be careful whether you're right or wrong on that. You're probably right, knowing, knowing Henry. Um, but the point of that is, is that I can choose to actually scaffold it a different way. You know, I could say, depending on your ability, because it's verbalised, not pre-scripted. So Henry, what's the smallest planet in the solar system? It's a red one, and it's quite close to Earth. And I can choose to vary that. Each time I can develop it onto the next student, the next student, the next student. I'm verbalising the questions, but I'm capturing whether you were right or wrong for my AFL assessment. And then I can do things like, um, there's 20 of you in the classroom, 30 of you in the classroom. What I can do is randomly say, I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to randomly hit a button. All your screens are going to blink up like a countdown, and then it's going to land on one of your screens, and you're the one that's going to answer. So now I'm engaging the whole class because you could be next. And, and teachers find that simple approach, that quick, lucky dip of who's next to answer the question, means that everybody's engaged because they can't keep their head down at the back of the class or, or look disinterested. They, they, they could be the next one. But, of course, you can then start to be smart and say, well, once I've done a lucky dip and it was Henry, next time I do a lucky dip, Henry's not included. And I'm gonna, by doing that, I'm going to make sure that all children get pulled into the process. Mm -hmm. Or I can team-base it you know, and, and have groups of children... And, 
And again, the idea is there's not one size fits all. That's something that's kind of been identified. But different learners learn in different ways. And by, you know, be careful to call it gamification because it's not in the purest sense. But it's a sense of trying to find different ways of engaging in learning. And at the same time, the teacher's capturing that evidence all the way through. But I haven't needed that pre-preparation. And because I'm verbalising the question, um, I'm able to scaffold it for the different types of individuals that answer. Um, and teachers find that's a really, really quick way to work through a topic as a part of their plenary, capture the evidence of who was securing their knowledge and who wasn't. Um, but they've saved that kind of that evidence at the beginning. Uh, and that's been a really powerful feature that we've added. Something that's been um, really popular in recent times um, is this idea around cognitive psychology and this idea of re retrieval practice. Mm. Yeah, so lots of uh, teachers are now doing plenaries at the beginning of the next lesson to give ch children a chance to actually forget some of the things they learned in yeah. the previous lesson. But if you have done a plenary, let's say, in, 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 in a way that you've just described, can you then pull that stuff back and use that at the start of the next lesson? Is that, is that stuff still Absolutely. Left to you can store that. I mean, there's, there's two strands, you know, and thank goodness they didn't do retrieval practice when I was at school because I, I struggled 10 minutes later. But um, there's two strands. You can do it as part of your plenary at the end. But the next lesson, there's two things. Firstly, you can pull that information up and you can continue your journey. But I also think it's important not only to have that as the retrieval practice, but to think of the gap between the two. And one of the beauties within, within NetSport School is we create a student journal. So what we kind of say is, look, throughout this lesson, you know, as a teacher, I've presented you with five web pages that are resources. I've given you some keywords that we're focusing on within the topic. Maybe it's a list of the planets and other you know, features of our solar system. Um, I've provided you with some images that I'm adding to your journal that were on screen for you, which was a, a map of the solar system and the order of the planets orbiting the sun. Um, and I've also done some testing and assessment with you and your scores have been included on that. So when you leave the class, not only have you got that retrieval in terms of how much am I going to remember for the next lesson, but you've actually got a digital journal you can take away. And that could include that concept of really kind of flipping the classroom and saying there's the things to take away and do work on and bring back. Um, obviously, it helps a teacher because you've got evidence. You've got the basis of a lesson plan for a year's time. You've also got the support of young Russell, who didn't turn up to school today because he's not feeling so well. You've now got content that they can hand to them that says, here's what we discussed and did in the lesson. And all this is being automatically captured whilst you're doing your actual lesson. So you haven't got to do it twice. Um, and so absolutely you can use that evidence to follow on in the journey of retrieval practice, but I think you're also trying to scaffold that process by saying mm. we're actually giving you the takeaway content. And that's part of the, the digital journey for young people. You know, before and, and, and still perfectly appropriately in certain settings, it's go away and read chapter three of a textbook. Um, go away and read the notes that you took, and some children are better note takers than others. So, so why not better highlight the key bits to remember and take it away? Um, and if you take it the next level, and I think a lot of this confidence is also about teachers seeing there's actually benefit to them as well as their students. Um, on a time-based, if I said to you, right, we've, we've, we've been talking about the solar system, I want you to go away and write an essay about the solar system, the, the, the planets and what you understand. It's been quite a bit of time for me to kind of work my way through all of your answers and review that. But I could, using NetSport School, have you sat writing an essay and I could be tracking the keywords of all the planets and all the items within the solar system. And each time that word is triggered up whilst you're typing in Word or, or Google Docs, um, I, I'd, it would identify that for me automatically and give me a point, two points. So I could very quickly, mid-essay, as you're all typing away, sit here and say, Henry's already hit seven of the 12 keywords. Mark, for some reason, seems to have only got one and has gone off on a complete different tangent. Let me go and intervene. But I'm actually doing the marking and assessment whilst the children are actually typing. 
And I'd argue there's as much benefit from a, a teaching perspective of being able to intervene and steer midway through than simply waiting to the end and telling them where they need to revisit. So there's a kind of a suite of tools depending on where you are in that journey of both learning and then evidencing that you've actually got that secure and then the subsequent retrieval of it. That's really interesting. I say one of the things that I find teachers to that, that will make the technology um, really engaging for teachers is when it will do things for them that will help them to do their job uh, either more simply or more easily or in the moment. Seems like you've got it nailed. Well, I think the truth of it is teaching practice, like everything, is a constantly evolving um, process. Uh, technology and the way that students engage is certainly constantly evolving. Um, the best teachers and the best vendors are the ones that are constantly learning, are receptive to trying new things. Mm. You know, and our products matured in many ways, having had it for so long, and with new platforms comes new opportunity, new ways to engage and capture information and collaborate. So it's a constantly evolving thing, but in terms of the solution as it has, you know, we're really proud of it. We've got just over 18 million users around the world. It's a well-established, well-proven solution. And I think the proven bit is really quite key because with lots of technologies, sometimes the challenge is always going to be, um, if I click this button and do this, will it work? Is it going to work this time? You know, mm. Is there going to be an appropriate connection? Am I going to get a funny message? And confidence comes from that consistency of the product's mature, it's proven, it does what it says on the tin. When I click here, I have confidence it will do this on the student screens. And I think that's part of the benefit of a, a mature product that's been built alongside teachers mm. in, in that confidence of how it delivers. Brilliant stuff. So listen, I think we're about to wrap things up. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in and listening to us. And uh, we're going to finish off. And uh, thank you very much. Are you ready? You are listening to Net Support Radio, the home of our award-winning school IT management solutions. support all the elements for successful school IT management.